Welcome to Cold Water Podcast. I'm Nicola Halton. We all know the importance of getting out there and doing a great work for Jesus. In this podcast, we will learn more about the people who are involved in changing lives for good, for God. Today, we are joined by Dr. John Andrews. Hi, John. Thank you for joining me on Cold Water Podcast. For those who don't know you, can you tell us a bit about what you're currently doing? Oh, currently doing? Um, well, uh, I live in lovely North Lincolnshire, uh, about nine miles outside of Scunthorpe. Uh, we moved here uh, just before the lockdown began last year. Uh, thank God, uh, you know, we, we managed to get moved before that happened. So I'm part of uh, New Life Church. Uh, that's the church I attend. We're connected into, it's an Assemblies of God church. And then I spend uh, the vast majority of my time in this sort of what you might call a translocal context. So I'm traveling to different churches, working with leaders, sometimes leadership groups, a lot of personal one-on-one. Um, people use the language coaching today. Um, uh, and so uh, a, a range of uh, teaching, preaching, um, mentoring, coaching, and also um and writing as well. So uh, I love to write where I can. So I uh, try to carry on with that. So that's sort of, that's the extent of what I do really. In, and most of that's largely based in the UK. Um, before the pandemic, of course, um, we were we were all traveling a little bit more. Um, so I did a, a, a fair degree of traveling overseas, but I would say 80% of what I do on an average year is based in UK churches. So, uh, so that's what I love to do and uh, really enjoying it so far. Even in the lockdown, it's been amazing. You know, we've been able to carry on via the internet, which has been fabulous. Yeah, it has changed how people do things. Certainly it? has. So, certainly has. Thank, thank God yes. for the internet, Nicola. Honestly, if we hadn't had the internet, I don't know what we, we would have done. So it, it really has been a lifesaver in terms of ministry and teaching. So I, I've you know, once churches got over the initial shock of the lockdown last year, uh, where I saw a lot of cancellations in my my calendar, uh, then they started to sort of recover confidence. Then a lot of my ministry opportunities came back online. As churches said, "Look, can you do a pre-record or can you do a live Zoom event or whatever?" So, so um, I've been. I, I'd say of what I had in my calendar during the lockdown, 80% of it sort of survived in the sense of pushing to a sort of a, an online forum um, in, in one form or another. So that, that's been great, really. That's been fantastic. It's wonderful. I've learned more. <laughs> um, <laughs> especially from, from you and, and Peter. Oh, and, you. you know, it's, it's, it's been great. Um, just a, just a qu- quite a few questions, really, yeah. because you're in, in interested. You know, you're interested. Um, <laughs> did you come <laughs> Go on, then. <laughs> did you come from a Christian family and how did you become a Christian? Oh, I love that question. Um, uh, yes, is the short answer. I had the immense privilege and I really do thank the Lord every single day. Without exaggeration, uh, I thank the Lord for being born uh, into a wonderful Christian family. My mom and dad were both followers of Jesus. And uh, by the time I came along, my brother and sister were older brother and sister were followers of Jesus. So we were raised in a, in a Jesus following household where the Lord was honored, uh, where he was put first in everything. I remember my sister coming home after getting her first job. And putting in the days when you got your pay packet in an envelope, 
Um, if you, you didn't get paid into your bank, and my sister literally put the whole of her first pay packet on the mantelpiece and said, that's for God as a first fruits offering. Oh. So that was the sort of home we grew up in. Uh, and I yes. had the privilege of being exposed to, I, I would say, really uh, the best side of the church from a, from being a young boy. Um, and um, But interestingly enough, it wasn't in the church I grew up in. I became a Christian. It was at a children's event in uh, a city mission just across the road from my house. And every Tuesday night, they ran fantastic children's service. Uh, and I loved it. And um, I remember going one Tuesday night, three rows from the front, end row. And uh, the guy was uh, speaking from uh, Revelation chapter three, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And uh, and I remember just getting a vision, Nicola, of Jesus standing outside, uh, as it were, the door of my life. And he said to me, let me in. Yeah. Um, and it was just as simple as that. I was only eight years old. So as a child, it was very simple language. And I remember turning to my friend and saying, tonight, I'm going to become a Christian. And I did. And I remember kneeling down. Uh, the pastor led us in a, in a prayer, kneeling down in the little vestry, little blue cushions. I can remember even the smell of that office. Yeah. And walking out of that, having had, um, I would call, I didn't use this language then, but as a, as a child, uh, but I would use the language now. I had a revelation that Jesus was the Son of God. And I've never moved away yeah. from that. I'm now 54 years of age, and I've had ups and downs and ins and outs uh, over that time. But I've never, ever lost faith in that revelation that Jesus is the Son of God, and he wants to be Lord of my life. And it was a uh, a direction-changing moment in my life. So, yeah, it, I, that's that's sort of um, how I came to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, Wonderful. And it's a good testimony to for how you can reach children. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's totally. I mean, my dad was 10 when he became a Christian. Uh, he was the first child in his family to become a Christian. So my grandmother on my daddy's side was a Christian. My grandfather at that point wasn't, uh, was a wild man, came back from the war completely. Well, we would say he had post-traumatic stress syndrome. And he was completely wild when he came back from the war. He became gloriously, got gloriously saved and became a Christian. Um, but my dad was the first member of his family to become a Christian. My mom became a Christian at 15. And my sister became a Christian, a follower of Jesus at six. And I think my brother was six or seven years of age. My wife, who I'm married to, uh, she was in single digits when she became a follower of Jesus as was I. So yeah. uh, my oldest daughter, gloriously, is a children's pastor. So uh, she yeah. works uh, in New Life Church as a children's pastor. So we absolutely believe that children's ministry isn't just an add-on ministry or to keep, keep kids entertained. We believe that children can have a dynamic experience of Jesus and have their lives uh, transformed because our family literally um, is evidence of that reality. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, 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 yeah, you, 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 your family are amazing. Oh, um, <laughs> you've got a fabulous website. Thank you. And on it, you've got Proverbs nineteen eight. He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. Mm. He who cherishes understanding prospers. Mm. What argument would you give for lifelong learning, particularly in the Christian community? Oh, that's a wonderful question. Um, I, I think, I think uh, the term lifelong learning is a fairly modern one. 
So it it feels like that's that's sort of relatively new language. But the idea of continuous learning is a strong biblical one. So if you think about what we call the Old Testament, you know, uh, the Jewish culture, Hebrew culture, it is absolutely education based. I mean, Moses is is not known as Moses the leader or Moses the military commander. He's known as uh, Moses the teacher. And, and one of the most formative figures in, for example, uh, Judaism and the Old Testament out of which, you know, Christianity has emerged um, is that of teaching and learning. And, you know, before Moses built an army, he built a school, you know. So, um, so if you look at our Hebrew roots from a biblical point of view, our Jewish roots from a biblical point of view, you have a relentless commitment to understanding and learning. Um, you know, by wisdom, a house is built, Proverbs says, by understanding, it is established, and through knowledge, it is filled with rare and beautiful jewels. You know, that wisdom, understanding, knowledge, they are at the very heart of the sort of um, idea biblically. And then when we carry that into the New Testament, you've got people like Paul saying, you know, train yourself to be godly, um, devote yourself to doctrine because it'll not only save yourself, but also to others. You've got uh, Luke, Dr. Luke, uh, saying of Jesus that Jesus grew, and that word means to grow intentionally and deliberately. He grew in wisdom. He grew in favor with God. He grew in favor with men. He grew in stature. Um, and so if you it, once you see this in the biblical text, you'll see it, uh, this constant movement and trajectory towards uh, not just learning once, but continuous learning. And I think that's an idea at the very heart of a Bible worldview. I think it's at the heart of really all dynamic uh, Jesus-oriented spirituality. I think the idea that you can become a follower of Jesus and sort of then stand still is a really alien one as far as the Bible is concerned. The idea is always you are growing, you are progressing, you are learning you are adding to, you're going from glory to glory, faith to faith. And so I, I would say that actually, uh, even outside of a Bible worldview, continuous learning is just a really wise thing to do. If you, To quote the proverb you've quoted, it's a sign of self-love. Um, so the pursuit of wisdom is one of the most, uh, you know, this generation talks a lot about loving itself. But if you want a real demonstration of self-love, it is the pursuit of wisdom which enhances your life. And in fact, if you flip that over, self-harm from a proverbial point of view, a proverbs point of view, is uh, living a foolish lifestyle, neglecting wisdom and not following her lead. Because um, wisdom in proverbs uh, is, a, is a female form, um, a feminine uh, noun. So you, you get that idea of, of lean into that. And so a, a general life principle, I think it's a non-negotiable but I would argue from a Bible worldview point, it's absolutely, it's uh, a relentless idea through the whole of the biblical text. Yeah, and, and I know once Jim said to me, Jim Wilkinson said to me, if you stop learning, you stop living. And I thought, that's what it is. I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> and you need, you, you know, you need to, you know, I mean, you've just encapsulated that wonderfully. Um, so thank you. And you, you've written books and I've read a couple and I aim to read them all. <laughs> <laughs> and Face to Face is your new book. It is. Um, and it's very valuable. I've read it twice. Oh, bless you. So it's a type of book you can read and you can put on the shelf and pick it back up again and read it again and get something new out of it. Thank you. 
Um, it questions our relationship with God and encourages to have a face and face-to-face encounter with mm. God. And that's that's just me. No, I'm not doing it justice, um, but I'm trying to put it into a nutshell. Mm-hmm. And I've got a few a few quotes if I can sort of dig them up. Um, it's uh, you know you, you there was halfway through the book you put in the space. The space in between Mm. teaches anything. We learn that the Lord is patient with us and persistent in pursuing us. He does not want us to live under the tyranny of of pretense, nor burden of someone else's purpose. Mm. He will do all he can to bring us freedom of our God-shaped identity and return us to the fullness of God-designed destiny. We must be willing to become and return. That, to me, encapsulates what the whole book is about. It just jumped out at me that he wants us to have a true encounter with Mm -hmm. him. Um, Can you talk a bit more about that as well? Sure, I'd love to. I'd love to. I I mean, I think, I I mean, I love that idea. The reason I wrote that sort of, uh, the book in general, was uh, the idea that over 30 years of ministry, I've met so many people who are, uh, almost exhausted by trying to be something they are not and trying to maintain that before God. And I think that is absolutely, if you if you put the sort of energy into living authentically that we put into pretense, you know, with our lives would be changed. And I use the story of Jacob. I think in Jacob, you've got two massive identity events. You've got the first one where he's before his father, Isaac. He's disguised himself or his mother has. And he pretends to be his brother in order to get the blessing. And the argument I make in the book is that you will never have to pretend to be somebody else to get what God has for you. Uh, And then 20 years later, Jacob is in the garden. He's wrestling with the Lord. And uh, you, you get an echo of that event in the garden when the Lord says to Jacob, what's your name? And that's a strange question. God knows his name, of course. But of course, if you read the whole of the story of Jacob, you cannot help but make the link between what's your name and Isaac asking 20 years before when Jacob enters the room disguised, remembering Isaac is blind. And Isaac says, who is this? And Jacob says, I am Esau, your firstborn. So 20 years later, now God has got a hold of Jacob and he asked him a really strange question. What is your name? Because the Lord wants to know how Jacob will answer. And because Jacob answers truthfully, honestly, he says, Jacob, in, in Hebrew, he doesn't even say, Ani Yaakov. He just says, he just says, Jacob, I'm, J-, you know, he doesn't even say, I am Jacob. It's like he, it just bursts out of him, Jacob. Um, the minute he is honest with God, then God can truly do what he wants to do in him. And Jacob's honesty allows God then to call, as it were, Israel out of him, call something greater out of him. So the story of Jacob in the first part of his life, he's grasping, 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 grasping. And he always seems to be grasping for more than himself. But then when God gets a hold of Jacob, what does he do? He's not grasping. He's calling something out of Jacob. He's calling something out that was already there. And God needed Jacob's, can I say that reverently? God needed Jacob's honesty in order to call that greater, um, as it were, expression out of him. So that's really the idea of the book, God's patient and generous pursuit of our real, the real person that he's made us to be, not the person we want to be, 
not the person society wants us to be, uh, or not even the person that actually um, sometimes uh, people around us tell us we are, but the God-shaped person, the God-designed person yeah. he wants us to be. That, that's the person the Lord's after. And of course, through the death of Jesus on the cross, that's the person he sought to redeem and the person he wants to bring to the light. So, so that's the heart of the book, really in terms of that face-to-face encounter with God. And you get that beautiful expression in the garden. Jacob says, I saw God face-to-face. It's the first time in the Torah that phrase is used, panim el panim, I saw God face-to-face, and yet my life was spared. And I think there's something beautiful about that face-to-face encounter, which uh, sets us free into authenticity. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I... I've read the book and there's loads oh, in it. Bless you. This, this struck me because I, the Lord who we serve is the creator of the universe and he owns everything within mm. it. As such, he could write a check and supply the means for every scheme and plan. But the scriptures show us that the Lord leaves room for contribution, not because he can't supply, but we must learn to invest. Yeah. Now I'm working with children at the moment. So you can see, I can understand what. God is trying to draw from me mm. just how I'm drawing, trying to draw that out of children. And you've put that beautifully. Oh, thank so you. Thank thank you. you. I, and I think it's a, if we can grab that idea, Nicola, that, that the Lord is amazingly generous and he has a greater plan for our lives than any of us can even imagine. But that plan will always include calling something out of us and, as it were, can I say this carefully, demanding something from us. Now, when I say demand, I don't mean demand in a negative, brutal way. But what I mean is he's, he's, that w- what the Lord has for us will always mean that I, that I have to step forward into something. His grace makes the way. His grace provides everything that I need, but it will always still require something of me to step into. And it's recognizing that as we step into that, what we're really doing is we're investing our lives into something bigger than ourselves. Uh, and that's truly yeah. transformational. Thank you. It's, it's choice. Isn't yeah, it? absolutely. It is. Choice. It is. It is. Yes. Thank you. I've uh, found your devotionals on your website and I've put a link. I'm going to put a link on the sh- oh, uh, thank show you. notes. Um, what is the aim for these devotionals? Because you've always done it on Facebook as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, just just really simple. Um, I love reading the Bible every day. So um, I, as I said, I've been a Christian since I was eight years old. I'm 54 now, and I still have a Bible reading plan. Um, I still uh, engage with the biblical text at a devotional level every single day, birthdays, holidays, Christmas days, good days, bad days, ugly days. So I, I just have trained myself that the Word of God is the only book I own that has the breath of God in it. It's, it's a special, unique, uh, inspired book uh, filled with God's wisdom and life. So for me, if I believe that, then I, I, must, I must make time for that every day. And just so as part of my normal practice, I've been doing that. And it really happened by accident, Nicola. It was, it was probably about four or five years ago. And uh, I, I remember putting one of my little thoughts uh, on Twitter originally because it's uh, i call them tweet votions so i tried to summarize the thought and originally twitter back then was 140 characters i think it's been extended to 270 um so i tried to just do this little summary thought in 140 characters and i got such a response to it 
that I thought, okay, I'll just I'll just keep going. And uh, and so then all, all I've done since then, probably this is about the fifth year I've done it. All I do is in uh, my daily devotions. So today I was in Galatians chapter six. And so I just did a summary thought, one little thought from that chapter, just to bless people. And, uh, and it's amazing over the years, people have responded to it. They just either liked it or they've said amen to it. Or sometimes people say, wow, that was just what I needed. And so I don't know how long I'll keep doing it for. Um, I'm almost finished this cycle of reading the Bible through. So I'm about to, uh, you know, move into uh, the, the book of Ephesians. And then, and then when I get to the end of the New Testament, I'll review whether I keep going. Because I've done it for about five years, but it's just blessed people. And to be honest, it's a great exercise. It's a great devotional exercise for me because it helps me to think about what I've read and summarize the main idea or one of the main ideas that I've read into a simple thought, which is great for meditation and sort of, you know, review and rehearsing the Bible. So it's been a brilliant little personal exercise for me. And, and that's how it got started. And, uh, and it, it, it sort of blesses people. So it goes on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And, uh, and, and if people want it, it's there as a little devotional thought. It's called a tweet devotion. <laughs> it's lovely. I love them. And I love them as much as Dr. John's kitchen. Oh, bl- um, <laughs> Bless your heart. <laughs> um, thank you. I've had the honour and privilege of sitting under your teaching. Your sermons have made a big impact on me. And some pe- people have said, you know, you can't, you can remember how something made you feel, but you can't often remember a sermon. But I can remember one of yours, particularly when you were talking about how your daughter made you buy some gloves yeah. for a homeless person. Wow, yeah. And that struck with me because you were very honest mm. about how you felt. Christianity is not always about sitting in services. What would you say it was about? Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, I think I think if you want to summarize the essence of what it means to be a Jesus follower, it's it's got to be not only that we claim to believe or receive something, but the evidence that we believe or receive that thing is that we engage uh, in an outworking of that faith in our world. So so actually, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, uh, that there are outward expressions of that faith. So I, I, I'm a passionate believer that if I believe something, you will know I believe that thing by what I do. So a biblical idea would be that, that if you like, believing is doing. So, so yeah. it's the, in many ways, it's the fruit of my belief. So what what Christianity and, and and sometimes this happens in 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 streams of Christianity or other religions is that it becomes a very head orientated thing. It's stuff you know. It's it's intellectual rather than uh, practical. But but if you look at a biblical worldview of faith, it's always about taking something we claim to believe and actioning that into our world. Um, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll, you'll keep my commandments. And actually, um, our faith is demonstrated not just by what we say or by which church we attend, but our faith is demonstrated by how we outwork those values uh, in our society, in our job, in our family, in our relationships, in the nitty gritty of our lives. Um, and I think that that, you know, there's a beautiful um, three-way dynam- dynamic to our spirituality. There's an 
an upward looking face, which is to the Lord, where we have a relationship with him. There's something that's also personal and inward looking, but it mustn't stop there. There's also then the outward looking to community and to the world beyond. Um, and if, if any of those elements are missing in our spirituality, it tends to impact the whole. Um, so if I'm only looking up, then I, I think I'm missing a dynamic dimension. And I would argue when I am looking up, it will always cause me uh, to both look in into my own heart, but then look out to the responsibility of uh, my world. So, so for me, it's, it's about not only believing I believe something, Jesus is Lord, but it is then a lifestyle that demonstrates Jesus is Lord by the way I serve my community and by the way I touch my world. And I think that's at the, that's at the heart of our faith journey, I think. Thank you. Um, there's only one tiny question that I really want to ask now, and it's if there was anybody who didn't know Christ and they were listening, how would you point them to Christ? Well, I, I would just I would just say that uh, Jesus, uh, for me, Jesus is not only uh, Lord and Savior, but uh, I believe He is the hope of the world. And I would say to anyone listening to this who's not a follower of Jesus uh, that that they simply open up their heart to him. Um, if, if you're in a searching place and you're, you're wanting some answers, uh, then if you've got access to a Bible, either to listen to one or to read one, um, look at those wonderful stories of Jesus and what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just saturate yourself in Jesus. But, but I would say, here's a great prayer to pray um, if you're searching. Lord, open my eyes that I would see Jesus. And, and by that, we don't just mean like seeing Jesus with your physical eyes in front of you. But what I mean is you, you see Jesus with the eyes of your heart and uh, to, to, to just invite him into your world, invite him to draw close, uh, reach out to him with a, with a heart that is both humble and hungry. And if you do that, I, I believe he will respond to that. You know, the Lord loves hunger. He loves humility and he loves honesty. And, and when you look at the Bible, he responds always positively to those three things. When a man or a woman is hungry, he responds. When a man or a woman is humble, that is, they recognize they, they can't do it on their own and they need some help, he responds. And when a man and a woman are, are, is honest, he responds. And the Lord loves one or all of those things in combination in the attitude of our heart. And if we will just position ourselves before Jesus then I believe he will respond to you. He will draw near to you and he will reveal himself to you. Thank you. Thank you. That's absolutely wonderful. Thank you for joining me tonight. Tonight, That was absolutely to brilliant. Absolute total pleasure. Thank you for having me. And thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you for you. the opportunity. Bless you. It's wonderful. Thank, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cold Water Podcast. Please remember to subscribe and join next week.